The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 172 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Benello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize all opinions expressed in this show on my own and that that of my president or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence I'm privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So last week, my man George and I had a chance to co-host the show together. It was fantastic to share the mic with my man again. Um, we got to do a lot bit more of that, I think, in the future. We unpacked the impact of COVID on the cybersecurity industry and how leaders had, have had to adjust to the remote work environments. We also discussed the dangers of ransomware and how recent attacks have shown a complete disregard for human life, how the insider threat has evolved during the pandemic, and, has, and how the remote workforce has presented new challenges to CISOs throughout the industry. We wrapped up the show with a discussion on how the U.S. Biden administration plans to increase cybersecurity spending by 30% and if private organizations will continue to follow suit. Don't miss everything we had to say on episode 171 of Task Force 7 Radio. So if you missed last week's episode, folks, don't sweat it. We're on at least 11 playback, different playback mediums. You can find us everywhere. That's Getting Serious About Prosecuting Cyber Criminals on last week's episode. That's episode number 171 of Task Force 7 Radio. So we have another return guest on the show this week. We have the Director of Cybersecurity Operations for Online Business Systems, Mr. Alan Espinoza. Alan brings more than 21 years of cybersecurity and IT experience, expanding various companies and industries, ranging from nonprofit organizations to global enterprises, including Siemens and Google. He's currently the Director of Security Operations for Online Business Systems, where he's helping companies of all sizes develop, implement, and maintain in-depth cybersecurity solutions. Alan has also been featured on NBC News regarding ID theft, juice jacking, ATM skimming, and other personal security concerns. Currently, Espinoza serves on the board of directors for the InfraGuard National Members Alliance, a partnership between FBI and members of the private sector where he helps lead efforts to protect 16 critical infrastructures of the nation. He is the chairman of the InfraGuard Technology Committee, which he recommends and implements technology for the organization and partners with the FBI and technology roadmaps. It's my pleasure to introduce the Director of Security Operations for Online Business Systems, Mr. Alan Espinoza. Alan, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Hey, thanks so much, Andy. Great to be back. Always an honor. Yeah, man. Hey, so I was chatting with some of my buddies over at Capgemini last week, and they were talking about a survey they put out, um, the results. And it was interesting because they said 85% of the CISOs that responded uh, said 
COVID-19 pandemic has made cyber resiliency more challenging for their organization. 71% said the landscape for cyber has changed. And that 68% said threats to the organization are more advanced today than compared to 2019. Now, look, you're on the front lines, man, right? Running security ops, right? What are you, what are you seeing? What's been the impact to you? Yeah, so the, yeah, the impact of COVID-19 has been rather significant. You know, prior to COVID, and I, I don't have the percentages in front of me, but, you know, X percent of corporate, you know, employees were remote workers, right? Now, that, that percentage has increased, you know, over time. But, of course, with COVID-19, that percentage went, out, you know, out the roof, essentially, right? And yep. the, you know, what was already challenging – Remote workers were already a challenging subject, right? Because traditional, as you know, and, and I'm sure the listeners know, traditional cybersecurity um, was around the perimeter, right? So you had a building or you had some facility or maybe several facilities that were connected together through VPN or some other means. And you protected the computers that were in that box, so to speak. So with remote workers, uh, you know, the challenge has been now for years, how do you protect them best? Well, Still working through those challenges, a lot of the CISOs I talked to uh, have still been working through those challenges the last several years and figuring out how do they best, uh, you know, defend and protect against threats that may come to remote workers, uh, you know, versus the rest of the workers that let's just say they're in sort of that network box, if we could call it that, or in the in, inside the perimeter. Uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, this time last year, it's like, you know, a, a ton more of remote workers come onto the scene and now the problem gets exacerbated, right? And so the, 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 one of the greatest challenges for sure in the last 12 months has been, you know, how, how do you shift from protecting the perimeter to now protecting devices, whether it be laptops, tablets, <clears throat> mobile phones, smartphones, et cetera, that are sitting in someone's home. You know, they're sitting on someone's home network. Uh, and so now all of a sudden you don't have that same Capability so some protections. You may have some local protections like antivirus, any malware, you know, and, and all that good stuff. You have some local protections on the machine, but now they're outside the perimeter. And not only are they outside the perimeter, they are, you know, it's in large numbers and for long periods of time. As in in some cases, employees have yet to even return to the office. So that's been a, a, a that's what I'm seeing as the you know one of the most significant challenges that a lot of corporations are having. Uh, so, you know, what I do in security monitoring, that's become even more important. I mean, it's always been very, very important. But now I would say really more than ever, quite frankly, with the remote works, workforce, uh, because you have this remote, remote uh, workforce accessing all sorts of different systems, uh, again, remotely. And so you want to monitor them. <laughs> you know, there, again, other protections you could put in place but more than anything, you really want to monitor them. You want to, to understand what is happening, uh, you know, with these workstations that you have out in the wild. So do you feel like, you know, now that people are, like, it's one thing when people are at home and they're working, you know, at night and a VPN in or whatever they're doing, right? And it's in the normal kind of, you know, business as usual environment before, you know, the pandemic. But now that everyone's 100% remote and you're, you know, CISOs are pushing out new capabilities to monitor that internet traffic. Um, are you are you getting any any um, you know complaints or concerns or people talking about like well you know wanting to dig deeper into like the privacy of what you know to understand what you're monitoring 
right? Where before people just probably logged in and said, hey, I'm just working at night, no big deal. But now, you know, they're 24 seven at home. And, you know, are there are they raising privacy concerns over and hey, what are you really monitoring off of my home network? Is that coming up at all? Yeah, that's come that's come up a bit. Uh, you know, people that, that perhaps are not uh, necessarily well versed in, in the technology will ask that question. You know, as to what what exactly is the corporation looking at? I mean, one of the concerns are, of course, webcams. <laughs> you know, and so people are now. Uh, I found some folks that are are concerned about their corporate computer, and if they don't, let's just say they don't have their webcam covered, or for that matter, the microphone on their computer, right? If that's not disabled or, you know, or such, uh, there's certainly been some privacy concerns around that. And, uh, you know, also the, now the use of the, you know, the, the increase in remote workers and the remote workforce has also increased personal use of corporate assets, right? Now, some corporations have very, very tight controls um, that, you know, some are, are so tight, especially if it's government, where you're literally only able to access certain domains or URLs or an IP addresses, et cetera. But for the most part, that's not the case. For the most part, corporations issued you some mobile device and you're able to surf the net, you know, mostly at your leisure. Maybe with, there's some filtering, but mostly at your leisure. And so now all of a sudden, this has become, for some folks, a little bit of their home computer. It's always been a little bit like that, um, I would say, some more than others, but now more than ever. So that raises the concern of, well, if I'm sitting at home on my work laptop uh, and now I'm viewing my bank account, is my, you know, does my company have the right to even view that, right? Uh, are they viewing it? Uh, and again, that's always been there and it's always been a concern for some folks, which is why some folks like me always recommend don't use your corporate uh, device for anything personal at all. But like I said, now now more than ever, the corporate device, because it's sitting at home pretty much 24-7, has kind of become you know, a home computer to a lot of folks. So that's, that's definitely a concern about, uh, around privacy. Yeah. You know, it's actually interesting too, man, because, uh, you know, I don't know, like you spent a lot of time around the government. I mean, with your time at InfraGuard and what you're doing over there, um, you know, around the agents and stuff too. And, um, man, I was talking to a couple of my old colleagues, some are in, some are out, but we we did a little video call just to check in, make sure everyone is doing good. And I was amazed. My boys, JT, Benz, and House, they they were working from home. You know, I was like, wait a minute. I never thought I'd see the day where agents were working from home, like full time, like, you know, some of them. So it's amazing to see how far it's had to go. Um, and, you know, and, and so the concerns around monitoring, you know, around, you know, folks that are doing government work, folks that are doing, you know, corporate work, like that's just a way different challenge. And so, but I did have a question for you around, look, you know, resiliency, you know, is such a big concern right now. And it's typically, you know, been raised in the context of, uh, of ransomware lately in our industry. But I mean, dude, you're down in Texas, running security operations, right? Like you, your operation can't go down, your monitoring can't go down. Like what, what, what's going on down there and how are you guys faring, you know, with everything that happened? Yeah, you know, it's it's been really interesting. So yes, I am in Texas, I'm in North Texas. And, um, you know, it's uh, in security, you, you tend to focus a lot on, well, you know, security, right? It kind of makes sense. Um, and what I came to realize, and, and I think it's had a major impact, uh, is this, this storm and this weather system that came into Texas and how uh, a large majority of this, well, really the entire state suffered some type of 
uh, power loss and, and, and such. And what I came to realize was that, uh, you know, as always, resiliency, like you said, is important regardless of, uh, you know, what sector you're in or what it is your job function is. And I realized just how much more important resiliency is in security. You know, um, I happened, it's, it's, it's just been good planning on, on the part of my company and, and my team that my team is, uh, is dispersed. And so I have the core of my team here in Texas, but I also have some members of my team outside of Texas, specifically for the Security Operations Center. Uh, and that really proved to be a great move on our part, quite honestly, uh, because I'll give you a scenario. I know folks that, that have security operations centers here in Texas. It's their, their only one, let's say, in some cases. Um, and we had our weather, you know, there were so many people out of power that it really was within very reasonably within the realm of possibility that uh, if, you had a, a, if you have a security operations center in, te in Texas, that all of your employees would have been out of power, that number one, your facility would be out of power. Uh, and so you'd be unable to operate out of your facility. Uh, but on top of that, to make sort of matters worse, if you had the capability, which I would hope people do, uh, for your security operations center to go mobile in case the facility is inoperable or, or, or you can't you know, get to it for that matter. Um, now, all of a sudden, we found ourselves with people, even remote workers, <laughs> being unable to access the Internet and unable to work. So... Um, you know, I mean, I, I have no doubt that's that's been an issue with a lot of different uh, sectors, but for security and for security operations center, I think it really highlighted the uh, the necessity for resiliency, the necessity to have a, a mobile workforce, not just mobile locally, uh, but even outside. You know, have some kind of a backup plan essentially. If you you know if you're a company that that for whatever reason can't afford to have a workforce outside of the state for some reason. Uh, like we do, but for us, it, it proved you know, tremendous uh, because I was able to very quickly, uh, I myself was out of power <laughs> uh, for, for a while, on and off at least, and uh, so were a couple of other my other team members, and so I was able to easily pick up the phone, you know, contact uh, my team members, uh, an analyst that I have outside of the state, put them on high alert and say, hey, I may, you know, I may need you to work 24-7, that kind of thing. Uh, for a bit until we get past this. And, and that was great. They, they jumped right on it. And so we were able to, you know, in our case as a vendor, service our customers uh, without any interruption whatsoever and without really any, any risk or danger because we had sufficient coverage outside of our SOC in Texas. I can't say the same for other folks. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I think we're going to look to, to address, I guess you could say, in general, as I'm talking to more and more people and they've been asking me for advice, you know, what do they do uh, in a case like that, uh, especially if they're a small operation? Um, and frankly, that's, you know, it's like, it's just like any, it's, a, it's like business continuity, disaster recovery for just, you know, uh, sort everything of, yeah. yeah, everything else, exactly, for IT as a whole, right? You need to have some kind of a backup plan um, and, and understand the risk that you have. Yeah, Brian, I can't wait to dive into a little bit more with this in the next segment. But all right, folks, we got a chance to listen to a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's with the number seven, folks, radio.com.
We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, then we're right back with Director of Security Operations for Online Business Systems, Mr. Alan Espinoza. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Director of Security Operations for Online Business Systems, Mr. Alan Espinoza. So, Alan, you know, look, I'm glad everything is going well down in Texas. You know, the weather is crazy. You guys were hit pretty hard. Um, obviously, cyber resiliency is continuing to be top of mind for you and, and others down there. Um, we're, we're, what I, when I referenced that Capgemini survey and the CISOs that responded said that 66% are investing in cyber resiliency um, as a foundation of their business and brand driven by the pandemic. And you mentioned that, you know, this, this recent, these recent events are forcing folks to, um, you know, really look at their plan, their resiliency plans and kind of look at the, you know, future proofing socks and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what, what is it, I mean, there's always something going on. Like, what is it that keeps companies from what, in your experience, from like not thinking about these things up front and only reacting to them after the fact? Sure. Yeah. So for, yeah, for a lot of companies, I mean, a lot of the the folks that I've dealt with, I mean, security, especially security monitoring, um, it's, it's either, um, you know, sort of an afterthought to some degree, or it's driven by compliance, right? And so we're still struggling, I would say, and this is a general comment, there's still a, a bit of a struggle in getting companies, especially more the, the small to mid-sized companies, the large enterprises, 
I think that, you know, at this point, it's safe to say they've gotten it. They're, they're not that they're perfect at it. We, none of us are, but you know, it's, a, it's a work in progress there. Uh, but for small and mid-sized companies, you know, mo- to begin with, just mo- security monitoring is, is can sometimes be an afterthought or be looked at as, uh, you know, a box that has to be checked off or you know, to be compliant with some regulation or, or framework and such. Uh, so we're still kind of struggling there. But, uh, you know, beyond that, uh, in terms of taking, you know, cybersecurity and being resilient, you know, around security, you know, I think that's a, a little bit of the new frontier, if you will, um, especially now that we're seeing, uh, you know, because of COVID, like I said earlier, the, you know, more uh, dispersed workforce, right, and more of a need to to have the uh, you know, to have your own security team, like in my case, like what I explained a little bit ago, uh, where thankfully I do have a, a geographically dispersed security team that was able to continue monitoring. So I think that uh, whether it's COVID or the weather in some cases, uh, that's going to start driving uh, more of that resiliency when it comes to some of the security tools and in particular security monitoring. Yeah. So, so in that same survey, man, they, they said that 79% of the respondents said that digital business is going too quickly to keep up. And, and I interpret that as like the skills needed in cybersecurity are also having to move quickly and we're already in a skill shortage, right? Like what are you seeing in terms of um, the talent gap, and, you know, just kind of how are you handling, you know, staffing and recruiting as your cust- your customers are going through digital transformations? Yeah, so I actually, I actually see that, I continue to see that as the one of, if not the biggest challenge uh, when it comes to cybersecurity is the, the talent gap uh, and talent acquisition. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because in the last 12 months, uh, all of a sudden roles, security roles that in the past or more traditionally were on-site roles, such as, for example, security operations center analyst, right? That has been very much traditionally a role that you want, you know, you've wanted someone sitting in a seat, in your sock, you know, and now uh, as a result of the pandemic, uh, for a lot of companies that's shifted. And so I have other roles, a number of other roles. I mean, you mentioned earlier, even the government, even parts of the government that are working remotely to some degree. Um, well, that's, that's, Opened certainly opened up the market. It's been it's been good and bad in a sense, in that uh, now uh, if you had challenges, you know, depending on where you are located geographically, right? If you're not in New York or or San Francisco, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, or even Dallas for that matter, Austin, uh, or some other you know metro areas, now some of the the challenges you may have had hiring talent locally, well, now those challenges of, of you know, to some degree been eliminated if you're hiring remotely uh, and if you're willing to hire remotely, which a lot of these roles now are, or a lot of these companies are now for certain, for certain roles. So now there's a whole new workforce that's opened up to you because there's talent, you know, now you could hire that, you know, that amazing talent that's wherever, maybe in New York or in Dallas, but you're located in, you know, I don't know, somewhere in Wyoming, let's say. Uh, now you are able to hire that talent. Uh, so that's the positive. The positive is that the pool has suddenly, uh, you know, there, there are more folks in the pool for you, right? Again, if you're willing to hire remotely. So that's great. Um, what the sort of negative, if you will, the con to this whole situation is that whereas in the past, 
um, you looked at your, your pool of candidates, or your local pool specifically of candidates, and, uh, you know, depending on the market, right, you paid depending, you, you, your salaries were, uh, you know, adjusted depending on the market, right? Well, now all of a sudden, you know, there are folks anywhere. There are folks sitting in, you know, here in Dallas that, you know, they could, uh, if they want to, uh, you know, work for a company in Silicon Valley um, or in New York, let's say, as an example, and uh, command more money, right? Uh, and for that matter, get paid more money than they would have gotten paid in the past just being here local in the Dallas market. While it is a, a very, an extremely strong market, uh, it's certainly not at necessarily, and salaries are not at the level of some of those other places. Uh, so that has made it a little challenging as well, uh, because now that, you know, again, you're not just regulated. Like I have to say, in Dallas, we've had the luxury of having a, you know, just a great pool of candidates, uh, you know, real strong uh, community in cybersecurity, uh, strong universities with great programs and all that. But now those, those great candidates, they're not only looking at jobs at DFW uh, because now they're, they're suddenly, uh, for all, in a lot of cases, able to work remotely. So uh, I can say for me and, and a lot of my colleagues, you know, one of the recommendations I make is to, uh, you know, develop, especially entry-level, I'm, I'm speaking about entry-level roles, to develop relationships with local universities, you know, um, like I have, right? And I'm a, I've been able to uh, successfully and, and thankfully been able to, um, to really bring in a lot of talent from local universities, you know, uh, folks that, uh, you know, had, were just graduating or just about to graduate and been able to develop a relationship there and get to know them uh, and, uh, and even get to influence a little bit, you know, the university uh, or the school uh, in terms of their curriculum and, and some of the, uh, the instruction and, and direction that they give the students. So that's certainly one way. There are, you know, a, a number of ways, obviously, to, uh, to help develop talent and help bring in talent. But definitely a challenging time. I'm seeing, uh, you know, even some changes in my own team recently uh, where, you know, again, there's, like you said, there's still a shortage. There's still a pretty significant shortage. I don't know the number anymore. I know Cisco a few years ago said it was 2 million worldwide. Always changing, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So always changing, still the shortage for sure. Um, and I think now with the, you know, with COVID and the effects uh, of COVID on the uh, remote workforce, uh, you know, I would think that shortage is, is in, in increasing, so to speak. Uh, yes, yeah, so you bring up something interesting right around the, um, you know, just the remote workforce here and kind of like talent being able to have their kind of pick, right? Whereas mostly we're more geographically kind of tied down. You know, I, I've always thought of like, man, if I get the best talent, I got to open up, you know, as broad of a, you know, search as possible and, and not be so like constrained by location. Um, but when you start to talk about the um, on-prem security operations center or the fusion center concepts that, you know, a lot of companies have, like where, where do you, where do you envision the, you know, that in-person SOC, in-person future center, future, you know, going, um, do you think we'll get back to a, a portion of that at some point? Or do you think, or, you know, for people just gotten so used to managing socks remotely that, you know, it's probably too far gone at this point. What's your take there? Yeah, I, th I think we'll get back to that to a degree. I know, you know, there are some companies, even some, just some sectors that, 
absolutely 100% demand that folks be on site, right? I mean, if you're, you know, if you're, let's say, working with classified information, for example, uh, you're going to need to be on site. You're not going to be remote working with classified information. But there are even some some companies that it's not necessarily, you know, uh, government classified information, but the the company has classified, if you will, the information um, or categorized their, their information in such a way that, that they don't they don't want, uh, you know, they, they're not going to tolerate uh, you know, remote work, right? Someone working from home and, and potentially other set of eyes. And so they want a control facility, in other words. So I think that'll remain. Um, but I, I, for sure, I believe that we're moving towards more of that modular remote SOC model. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's going to, uh, in many ways, as companies have explored it, experienced it now because of the pandemic, I think they're, they're, that uh, a lot of folks I've spoken to at least have come to realize that, wow, you know, whereas they were previously not open to, to that kind of a, a scenario, but the, uh, the pandemic forced them into it. Now they've realized the benefits. And so I, you know, I, I see the benefits. I see both. I see the benefit of having, uh, you know, a secure facility to, to um, uh, you know, facilitate the level of service as some customers may demand, whether it's, you know, if you're a vendor, it's an external customer, or if you're, you know, a company, your, your internal uh, customers, if you will. Um, I still see a value there, but I see a tremendous value in having that, uh, you know, remote uh, SOC workforce and just the, the resil- going back to resiliency, the, the level of resiliency that you could offer by having a remote SOC workforce is tremendous. Um, and the coverage, and uh, not to mention, you know, if we go back now to the talent pool as well, not to mention that, you know, in a scenario like that, whereas, you know, it's, it's interesting because you, you, you mentioned a moment ago um, sort of about, you know, different uh, levels and such and, and uh, uh, seniority. And what's interesting is, you know, if to your point in the past, if you wanted top talent, like you said, you're going to have to do a nationwide search, right? You couldn't, you couldn't uh, just limit it to your local area, wherever you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Right. You want a nationwide search. You're looking for absolute, you know, top talent. You have very senior level roles. You're going to, to uh, have a nationwide search. Well, folks in those roles are more apt uh, and have more flexibility, if you will, at, at times to, uh, to move, right? So if you were, you know, if you're living in, in, uh, you know, in Wisconsin and, uh, you know, you're, you're a senior uh, executive and you got a, you know, a new job offer in San Francisco, you know, you had the means to move, right? You had the incentive to move, both the means and the incentive. But when it comes to entry-level roles, such as the SOC analyst role, that's a different story. You know, I would certainly, uh, as I've recruited, I've never even considered you know, looking, um, you know, uh, outside of the areas where we have our socks, right? And some of our redundancy built in. I, I, I haven't considered, I'd never thought about uh, hiring somebody in, a, in an area where we have no, you know, my company has zero presence um, uh, and, and trying to recruit them from there to come, let's say, to Dallas, right? Because it's an entry-level role and right. I wouldn't expect anyone to move for an entry-level role. Well, now with a remote workforce, that changes the entire game, you know. If you're willing to uh, hire, you know, hire uh, remote workers, if you are staff, um, now you now you have folks, all, you know, uh, in a lot of different places you could potentially bring in, uh, and uh, and so that that certainly opens it up um, as well so as gives you, you that. Like? 
Yeah, no, no doubt. And so when you start to look at like, you know, the different skill levels and the progression through, we'll just say like a sock analyst career, like tier one through two through three up to like IR hunting and stuff like that. Like, I mean, when I was managing socks, it seemed like every year and a half to two years, people were like, all right, I'm ready to make a leap. And, you know, are you feeling like the, the, now the, the fact that analysts aren't tied down to the geographic location, that this is also now going to speed up that timeline. And, and if so, do you feel like people may be making moves too soon before they're really ready for their skills actually mature enough to take on those other roles? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, I, I do feel that it's, it's certainly giving people a lot more flexibility um, I also believe that the uh, some of the the kind of corporate culture that we've seen, especially coming from Silicon Valley. I mean, I, I worked in the past for Google and and experienced it, where you know you provided a facility, you gave folks the ping pong table or, or maybe a, you know breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, for that matter, amongst other perks. Well, now if you're working remotely, you know those those perks don't really matter anymore. So. I think we're, we're definitely, uh, I would say companies definitely need to start looking at uh, how they develop their workforce, how they invest in their workforce beyond, let's say, in some cases, those perks, which were nice in the past, but may be irrelevant going into the future. Um, I could tell you from my own experience that, um, you know, what we've done, at least at Online Business Systems, is really heavily invest in everybody. Uh, and everybody in the company, uh, for example, everyone gets a professional development budget, right, from the company where they could spend, you know, certain X amount of money and time on training and developing their skills. And that's something that I work very, very closely with my team and ensuring that everyone has, you know, a set of, of career goals, not forced, something that they're buying into, something that they want to do in a direction they want to head but that I'm investing in the team. And that, you know, that encourages folks to stick around because again, that's, I haven't found that to be terribly common, uh, quite honestly. And so that's definitely an encouragement where as like, to your point, folks uh, can now jump ship a little faster. That does encourage people to stick around. And not only does it encourage people to stick around because uh, I don't want necessarily, you know, employees to stick around forever in the same role. I mean, I, I even tell people when I interview them, you know, that that's not only not my expectation, that I wouldn't even want that person, quite honestly, if you just want to come and be a SOC analyst for the rest of your life, you know, um, because it is a, you know, it is an intra-level role, for example. And so, uh, you know, but investing in the employee and not just for the retention, for the immediate retention and the immediate role, but for longer term retention in other roles. So, you know, I've worked closely with, with my SOC analysts. Uh, to expose them to the rest of the company for the, you know, some of them are being mentored not only by me, but also by other senior and principal consultants in the company that are, you know, uh, working compliance or risk or governance. And again, exposing them to different areas. So I think it's having that kind of career path, right? Creating a career path, having a career path available um, and not just in theory, but in practice. And so I think that's for, I know for me, it's been, you know, really important uh, for my staff and for me. And I think that's going to be critical going into the future, especially, like I said, as some of the perks of working in an office uh, go away, you know, and all of a sudden it's a bigger perk to be home because you don't have to, um, you know, you could wear whatever you yeah. want. You don't have an hour commute, right? 
Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You get all that time back, and you know. So, so let me mm-hmm. ask you another question. I mean, I, I feel like I'm sensing like you know we do like um, you know virtual offsites, virtual training, webinars, etc. People are in the comfort of their own home. They're in their they're in their you know their their comfort zone, their space. Um, I'm finding that there's a lot more engagement from folks that probably would not normally engage at the same level if they had to socialize in person. Like, are you seeing any change, any difference in output in some of your, you know, in some of the talent that you, you interact with because they're not having to have the anxiety and stress of like social dynamics that are uncomfortable for them because they're working at home? Yes, absolutely. So that's a, that's, a, that's a great point that you bring up, Andy. Because um, certainly, you know, as as we as we and I'm, when I say we, I'm talking about just corporations in general, uh, become more sensitive and more adept at dealing with different you know different types of personalities uh, and such. Uh, this is a big deal, especially in technology. At least I would say, in my experience in the last 25 years of technology, you know, you we have folks that are tremendous at their role, right? They're extremely skilled, intelligent, uh, capable, just great. But some of them are not, you know, they don't have the personality or the bent or the desire to necessarily, uh, you know, sit in a room and, and uh, whiteboard in a meeting, right? Or make, do a presentation <clears throat> or such. So yeah, this is, this is a, a, now the remote work. Uh, I have seen an increase in folks being in, uh, certainly excited and more encouraged from what I've seen to participate as a result, because you're right, they're not having to get in front of the team. They're not having to necessarily interact in ways that perhaps, you know, they weren't comfortable with. So now, you know, whether it's over the phone or just through, uh, you know, some kind of a other medium uh, such as Slack and such or teams, um, they're, they're a lot more comfortable and a lot more willing to work. And I'll tell you what, along sort of along those lines, I, when the pandemic started, one of my concerns that I had uh, with my own team, as well as just speaking to, to peers and other companies, and, and they shared this concern too, was when you have a more junior workforce, right, especially that has been working on site, um, you know, one of the concerns we had was, how does that junior workforce now adapt to working remotely, right? Are they, you know, they're going to be distracted perhaps because they don't have that experience of working remotely. And so a lot of these folks have just started in their career. Um, and they, I'll tell you my own experience and, and a couple of my peers as well. Um, I was, and so my peers have been very, very surprised. Um, you know, I know for me, some of my workforce that, that uh, went remote as, as a, uh, a result of the pandemic, they've worked even more. <laughs> they've put in more hours. You know, and to your point a moment ago about, hey, you know, if you don't have to commute, whatever it is, 40 minutes, an hour, maybe more, any more than, hey, you know, you, you could, there's no concern about having to hop in the car. I know for me, I'm, you know, more than happy to sort of stick around a bit longer, be online a bit longer, have a meeting a little longer, a little later and such, because I'm not worried about traffic. I'm not worried about, you know, uh, having to hop in the car when I'm working from home. So that's, it's, it's. It's been definitely surprising, uh, in a good way. Not that I, not that I had bad expectations, if you will, but I wasn't right. sure what to expect. You know, but it's been a pleasant surprise to see how how folks have adapted, and um, yeah, it's just been just been great. Yeah, that, that's great to hear, man. I mean, look, I'm I'm excited for people to have that, you know, kind of newfound like you know anxiety, you know, stress relief, right? Like they're they're able to put themselves in situations to be productive where the water cooler 
isn't the place where you get promoted. You know, like your work is the thing that helps you shine. So I, I'm excited for people to have that opportunity. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm glad that you're seeing those results in your, your people. I mean, if folks, if you're, if you're not handling people as your number one operating priority in your organization, like you're really missing the boat, right? And this is the perfect mm-hmm. time to really focus on that. So I mean, I'm glad you're, you're putting a big emphasis on it. All right, folks, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, Director of Security Operations for Online Business Systems, Mr. Alan Espinoza. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure security-innovation.org or google signet s-i-n-e-t have you friended us on facebook yet why not just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for the keywords voice america once you are part of our facebook network you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and new happenings at the voice america talk radio network and you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline just go to facebook.com forward slash voice america or search for voice america You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest and friend of the show, Director of Security Operations for Online Business Systems, Mr. Alan Espinoza. All right, Alan, you've been in the game for a long time, man. So where do you see the future of uh, the SOC going? I think definitely, Andy, the future is having a uh, geographically uh, dispersed workforce. Um, I think that now... You know, like I said earlier, because of the pandemic and the opportunity, I'm going to call it an opportunity uh, that that's given us to really reevaluate how we, and in particular security practitioners that oversee security operations centers, how we actually uh, form that center, right, in terms of personnel and staffing uh, and that old, you know, kind of model or previous model that everybody had to be local. I think um, now seeing the value of having a more dispersed uh, you know, workforce and not just having multiple socks necessarily, because some companies do that, but really just having, you know, that your, your one sort of operation center is uh, maybe it's located somewhere physically, but you have, you know, a workforce in other states, maybe other countries. I think we're going to head in that direction. And I think that uh, not only will it be a, a result of increased resiliency, which is really important, 
And I think that, you know, what happened in Texas is a great uh, wake-up call to that. Uh, but I think also it's going to be a result of having access, you know, uh, to a wider pool of, uh, of, of staff, right, of potential staff, of cybersecurity, you know, especially entry level. Uh, I think if you can, you know, hire from across the country and, and such, it's going to be, it's going to help out in a lot of different ways. And so I think it's going to be great for whoever's running the SOC. I think it's going to be great for whoever they're servicing. And I also think it's going to be great for uh, folks around the country that are maybe interested in cybersecurity, but perhaps they live in, and again, I'm not going to be the pick on a state, but maybe they live in Wyoming or someplace like that, North Dakota, where the, there's not a whole lot going on there in that respect, right? It's not a, it's not a hot market. So maybe you're not going to school for it. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, not only could they go to school remotely, but now they could even work remotely. So I think it's going to just open it up to a lot more folks. No, no doubt, man. I think there's, there's lots on the horizon there. I think that's, those are all valid and really good points. What would be that advice then for, you know, the, the young practitioner or the budding practitioner waiting to get in the game. That's not, you know, hasn't really, doesn't really have that exposure to, uh, you know, some of the hotter cybersecurity markets, like what would you, what would you recommend they do to kind of get, get, get on the radar? Yeah. So I definitely recommend, uh, you know, joining associations, um, you know, like ISSA, InfraGuard uh, and others, uh, attending webinars, you know, it, it's, it is challenging, right. To get to know folks and network remotely. I have found that I definitely do miss, going into a, you know, into a meeting uh, or an association gathering and, and, you know, shaking hands and getting to know folks. So it is a, a, little, a little challenging, but I think uh, that's one way. Uh, being active in, uh, you know, being active in the student community as well, you know, taking part in capture the flag exercises or whatever may be relevant to whatever, the, you know, the direction they're wanting to take with cybersecurity. Uh, and for that matter, for those that are, you know, that are that are a little more daring and a little more willing, I would say, you know, start the blog, right? I know that we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of blogs at this point, but start a blog, you know, do something like that. Start a blog, start blogging about something and put it on LinkedIn and, and share it with your friends and social media and have them like it and have them comment and just kind of start getting, you know, start getting your name out there, start getting some exposure. Um, <clears throat> truth is, you never know. You know, I, I, I found a job once uh, where someone saw something I posted on LinkedIn, reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I want to talk to you. And uh, so I think it's, it's kind of uh, trying to get your name out there and trying to get the, the maximum exposure you can, of course, in conjunction with gaining that education, right? And gaining the, gaining the skills. Yeah, you got to manage your own brand, right? For sure. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Alan, I really appreciate you coming on the show, buddy. Thank you, Andy. I always appreciate the invitation. It's uh, always an honor with you guys. So thank you so much. Yeah, buddy. We'll have you back on. All right. But before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to get a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 